Hello, everybody. Dr. Rick Wallace here dropping in on you. I am coming at you uh, this evening because of something that's kind of came up that I definitely want to address because I'm looking at the responses that I'm seeing based off of this. Um, and so I want to talk about this conversation that uh, Joe Biden had with Charlemagne the God, where Charlemagne says, basically, we need you to, we would like for you to come uh, back to the studio. We have more questions. And the response is, and I quote, if you have a problem figuring out whether you are for me or for Trump, you ain't black. Uh, there are so many different levels of disrespect uh, that comes out of this. Also, so many different levels of how he's speaking to his perception of black people and where he should stand within the black collective, despite his past record. And so I want to talk about that before I get into it. I want to remind everybody to support the work that we are doing at the Odyssey project on the level of research. We've done some unbelievable research over the last 15 years, uh, as far as community involvement with the black man, Lead Black Man Lead, Rite of Passage Initiative for Young Black Males, uh, Restoring Ghetto's Forgotten Daughter, uh, that my wife heads up dealing with uh, adverse childhood experiences for young black girls, especially in the area of uh, uh, childhood sexual abuse and so many more. Uh, the thing is, we vote out of obligation, out of loyalty. We never demand anything. We vote out of anger, out of emotion, and out of hatred, but never from a place of planned strategy or a planned agenda. We never ever, hey, hi, how's everybody doing there? Uh, we never ever actually have taken time to sit up and look beyond being glossed or rubbed smooth by the rhetoric of Democrats to see what they were putting on the table for us. We vote because our parents did it. We vote straight ticket without examining uh, the, the, the uh, receipts of politicians, without examining the policies and the promises that are being made to other groups. See, there are certain promises that can be made to other group. Uh, other groups that tells you that if they're going to keep that promise, then they can't really truly serve your interest. There are groups that live in diametric opposition to the interests of blacks. And we have to understand that. We can't simply sit in a cocoon and live life from the position or the place of our experiences without understanding the experiences and the uh, positioning of all other groups, how they got there, why they're there, what serves their interests, and how serving their interests may negatively impact the, uh, the the facilitating and serving of our own interests. We have to be willing to study. We have to be willing to understand. One of our greatest failures is that we have very little knowledge of political science and how the game is played. We don't understand the difference between local politics, state politics, and federal politics. We don't understand the dynamic of what that means with only a 13% to 14% tops representation. And that isn't all voters. That's total representation within the country, how that plays out on a national scale. We don't, we don't want to look at and, and, and understand that since 1865, when we received our quasi-emancipation, that since then, the wealth gap has actually widened, especially in the last 60 years. We have to be willing to understand that some of the most nefarious acts and policies were implemented under Democratic administrations. The Black family's disintegration began under a Democratic administration, the Johnson administration. Uh, mass incarceration was birthed under a Democratic administration, the Clinton administration. As a matter of fact, the co-author of the bill that ignited and set on fire uh, the, the uh, policy of mass incarceration was co-authored by none other than Joe Biden. So when you 
hear somebody like Joe Biden say, well, if you can't figure out who you are for out of me and Trump, it's an automatic, number one, tail on the strategy of the Democratic Party. They are going to try to successfully do what they did not do in 2016, and that's run solely on, I'm not him. At least I'm not him. And, you know, you got a choice between me and him, so I know you're not going to pick him. They underestimated the Republican Party. They underestimated the influence of Trump on uh, white liberals, uh, which would normally have voted for Democrats. And then they turned around and they're doing it. They're doing it now. They did it then and they're doing it now after Dems lost. They blamed it on the black vote. Black voters didn't get out. Black blacks make up 13, uh, a little over 13 percent of the entire population out of 333 million. There's a little over 45 million of us in the country. And here's the thing, because of the bill that Joe Biden wrote, a co-author in the early 90s uh, that targeted primarily uh, African-American males and led to the mass incarceration of a a lot of black males who did crimes that are equivalent to the crimes being done by petty thieves and uh, white males who are addicted to heroin who are being funneled into treatment centers because treatment will do better for them than incarceration. Keep that in mind. They've done decades for marijuana sales where now white men are being becoming rich, predominantly white men, blacks for the most part are being locked out of the industry. That's a whole nother thing that you have to have to look in and research and get into. Yes, some have made it in, but again, it's the same access issue that has been an issue since we were quasi-freed in 1865. That is access to the resources and the mechanisms and the platforms and uh, the dynamics and forces that will allow you to develop wealth. In, in, in the early 1900s to about 1940, we're talking about redlining, kept us out. We're talking about urban renewal, benign neglect, and so many other uh, forms of serial force displacement that dispersed us, that moved us out of places, that didn't allow us to accumulate wealth ownership in places in which wealth was growing. It funneled funneled us literally into ghettos. And uh, those things, the access was done under both Democrat and Republican administrations. So again, we have to be aware of what game is playing. I, 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 I am not a fan of Donald Trump. I am definitely not a fan of Joe Biden because his receipts speak for themselves. That, that's exactly right, Tim. Uh, the problem I get is how many black people are simply voting for Joe because he's running against Trump. We don't want to hear about what he did in the 90s. We don't want to hear about um, what he did as uh, a vice president and what happened under the Obama administration with an entire entire, uh, term under Democratic control in the House and the Senate and nothing done for Black people. But Blue Lives got something out of the deal. The LGBTQ community got something out of the deal. The Jewish community got something out of the deal. The only ones that of any significance that didn't get anything out of the deal were blacks. But he was supposed to be our president. And we still don't get it. We still don't understand the dynamic of how this political game Oh, oh, and as far as the last statement about Charlemagne, I am not a fan of Charlemagne. I'm, I'm not a fan of anybody on The Breakfast Club. All I'm saying is the question he put out was legit. Would it have been better coming from a number of other people? Absolutely, but it didn't. He stood up and he specifically asked a question. Hey, we want to ask you for some things. There's some things that we want to talk specifically about because we want certain things for our community. In other words, we're not going to vote for you solely based off of the fact that you're a Democrat and you're running for Trump. We want something for our vote. 
We want something in our communities for our vote. We need a specific, solid, concrete policy that you're planning to act. Now, here's the thing. Joe Biden has had no problem coming out and saying that his first priority and his strongest focus when he gets in office is going to be the LGBTQ agenda. That was, I mean, boldly stated. And that was to pull white liberals that actually voted for Trump back over. And again, that's political uh, banter. That's political rhetoric. That's political play. How much he's going to actually do, we don't know. But we know that the LGBTQ community has done a great deal to leverage what we fought for in civil rights to further along their agenda. They've made more progress since 1970 than we've made since 1865. They have leapfrogged us in area of prevalence and relevance in the political movement and the socioeconomic uh, spectrum. That's the truth. They used a lot of policies and laws that we championed and fought for to literally outmaneuver us and move around us and move ahead of us. And we didn't even see it because we're still playing the vote Democrat uh, game without having anything for it. We're the only group that will not demand something for our vote. We're the only group that can be guilted in the vote because, quote, unquote, our ancestors died for the right to vote. No, 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 stop it. Our ancestors did not die for the right to vote. First and foremost, the vast majority of Blacks were uh, given the right to vote after the Emancipation Proclamation and the 13th Amendment. What happened is years uh, of maneuvering in the South known as Reconstruction. What was Reconstruction? You hear about it all the time. Very few people understand it. Reconstruction is, I'm going to blow your mind, but listen to me, hear me out before you judge what I say. Reconstruction is actually where the South ended up winning the war. And I know your history books tell you that the Union won the Civil War and that the Civil War ended in 1865. No, it ended in 1867. And that is when the final uh, leftovers of the Union armies and Union forts and uh, installations packed up and moved back north and left the South to figure itself out on its own. And the only thing that didn't change back to exactly the way it was was slaves on plantations without being able to leave. Uh, There were a number of other policies that were implemented like convict leasing, black codes, et cetera, that limited the mobility and the ability of blacks to do anything viable economically. So it held held them in check. But let's go back, let's talk about what that is for a second. I know we're a little bit off, but I wanna make a point here. The reason that we are now in 2020 still talking about the Confederate flag. In 2020, still talking about Confederate statues of Confederate heroes in the South being on college campuses and being on state capital, state, uh, state capital, um, uh, state capital uh, premises or whatever is because after 1865, when uh, Robert E. Lee surrendered and uh, Thomas Jefferson was taken into custody and all this stuff was going on, And everybody said, okay, the South lost. The South regrouped. And through clandestine groups like the Ku Klux Klan, they started raiding and bombing and uh, shooting up Union military installations. And it was costing the uh, Union Army and the federal government thousands upon thousands upon thousands of dollars and lives. And eventually they packed up and left. So after they left, most of the states in the South started marginalizing, mishandling, mistreating, and doing things to slaves that took away the rights that had been given to them. One of the ways they did that was to find ways to get around federal codes to make sure they could not vote. The Civil Rights Bill of, 19, uh, I believe, 1963 was not to say, okay, now Blacks can vote. It was to say Blacks in the South can vote again without interruption. And that's actually still not working because there are still places like Alabama and Mississippi where they have these different 
uh, local voting laws that limit uh, and restrict blacks being able to vote. But the, 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 the war was not over in 1865. They started fighting a different way through guerrilla warfare, through clandestine engagement. It stopped being face-to-face frontline battles. It started to be, we're going to catch you when you sleep and we're going to bomb your installation. They did that so much that the Union withdrew. The South took back what was theirs. And for the most part, Blacks caught hell in the South way through the 80s. And it's still some places, again, like Georgia, Florida, and on down. Texas has gotten a little better. There's still places in Texas you bet not be caught when the sun goes down. There's still a good old boy mentality through the Bible Belt. And that was brought back and fought back through clandestine engage, military engagement from 1865 to 1867. So while the history books will tell you that the Union won for the sake and the state of the Union, the truth is the South reclaimed itself through groups like the Ku Klux Klan and other clandestine groups that continued to fight. So that's not good. But if you research it and you look at it, you'll find that that was called the rise of a nation, the rise of a new nation. It was in that that they actually took back control to a, a large extent of what how, and how things were done in the South. So you still have these type of mentalities. My problem is that you cannot give anybody something at a rate and a level where they take you for granted. You can't do it in marriage. You can't do it in business. You have to hold people accountable for what you're trusting them with. If I'm trusting you with my money and I'm expecting a return, I need something of equal or greater value of the money I'm giving you or the value loses its money. If I'm sitting up and I'm in a relationship and I'm giving you my heart, I need something equal to my time and my heart or what happens happens is you you will begin to take me for granted and you will begin to think you deserve my heart without giving me anything. It's no different when it comes to the vote. If you continue to give your vote to a group of people solely because they are a part of that group, they see no need to serve you because you have been conditioned in your mind to vote for them. And that's where Joe is showing his hand. He is so arrogant in his view of the black community that he is literally showing his sense of entitlement by saying that if you don't see me as the dude, then you, you know, you're not black. Who in the hell gave him the authority to define blackness? What experiences have he gone has he gone through that gives him a right to define black? Matter of fact, when I trace your, your track record, you have been more detrimental to the black race than anybody that we're talking about in the presidential race from the Democratic Party or the Republican Party. Yeah, it's easy to dislike Trump. He's not a likable person. He, he, he He's not a person that you're going to look at and like, but he is the representation of how the game has changed. You could not have seen a person like him as being president just 10 years ago. Nothing about him says president. Nothing about the way he speaks, nothing about the way he carries himself, nothing about the way he addresses people, but he is the proof that the game changed. They didn't fail, even though they want to preach this sermon. They didn't fail because blacks didn't turn out to vote in 2016. They failed because they thought they could take that win for granted because of just how non-presidential Trump was. Hell, the man had just been caught on tape saying he grabbed him by the private part and they love it. That should have told you when he still was voted in, and though he didn't win the popular vote, it was too close. It was too close for a person that's doing it. But what happened is you had a person who had a track record. You got to understand Hillary was popular, but she was losing popularity. Number one, she was married to the man who was the president whose administration under which uh, the crime bill that Joe Biden wrote took, took, took hold. It was Bill Clinton's administration, and Bill Clinton has had to openly admit that that crime bill was devastating to the black community, and it should have never been signed. He's admitted it. And we look at, what, eight years of Obama and no gain. In fact, we lost ground in the socioeconomic struggle. The wealth gap between blacks and whites widened. 
while the wealth gap between Asians and white whites narrowed. The wealth gap between whites and Hispanics even narrowed slightly. We lost ground and it happened under a democratic administration. The disintegration of the black family unit began in the mid 1960s under a democratic administration, the Johnson administration. We have to be aware politically of how the game is played. Um, and the thing is, we are going to have to do a better job of educating ourselves. When I sit up and I look at how many people are actually talking about it's a, it's, it's a choice between Trump and Biden. I'm voting Biden every time, despite the fact that dude screwed the shit out of you, right? Excuse me, y'all. I'm, I'm just in this space and I've been here for a while. Well, you know, my 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 me my, me is out, you know, uh, and I apologize if it offends anybody. I'm never it's never my intention to offend about sometimes I'm just not in a mood to walk that narrow. You know, sometimes I just feel like talking how I talk um, and sharing with you guys. Um, my thing is this. Biden has a track record of failing blacks and even taking nefarious actions against black. It was in the uh, early 70s that Biden went on record as saying integration is going to be a devastating reality for his kids having to be integrated into environments with blacks. That was Biden. And nothing has changed except for the fact of how he panders to the blacks for their vote and the audacity that this clown has to actually sit up and think that he can sit up and insult us. Well, actually, I guess he, he, he he's not too far off because there's still a large group of people who will ignore that. Now, they'll capture every freaking thing that Trump says that sounds stupid and he doesn't make it hard for him. But they'll, they'll capture all of that and then see all the stupid stuff that Biden says and find a way to justify it, give it a pass. Uh, marginalize it, minimalize it, and all that other stuff. We're not going to hold him accountable. We're not going. We're going to completely talk about how Trump has disrespected and took a misogynistic approach to dealing with women, and then it totally ignore the fact that this man is being accused of sexual harassment towards a female, and the grounds for her claims have been validated. And even this guy said last year that if a woman says that she's been sexually assaulted, believe her, has also all of a sudden now reversed field since uh, it's come out about him. And forget that one thing. And I don't mean forget it. I mean, let's set it aside and pretend that it's not there for a second. How many photo shoots have you seen this man rubbing up and down on children? on? We're going to ignore that, right? Why? Because he's the guy that's supposed to be Trump. We have such an easy, uh, such a mindset that's so easily manipulated. We just tell them that, hey, I'm against Trump and they'll vote for me. They hate Trump so much. We're going to point out all the stupid stuff that, that Trump does. You got to understand that Trump was the same stupid ass person he is now when he won the first time. So however you see him and how you view him, you got to understand no matter what kind of silver spoon is put in your mouth, you don't end up there being stupid. Now you can play stupid. You can do a bunch of stuff, but you don't end up there. And if you go back and you listen to this guy's interviews, 15, 20, 30 years ago, when he was talking about if he decided to run and he talked about how he would do it, he did exactly that and won. And the part of it is because we're so enamored by celebrities that they can pretty much walk in and they get our vote solely based on their celebrity. It's the new thing. Retire from whatever you're doing as a celebrity, athlete, whatever, run for office. Hell, think about it. Reagan was what? Governor of California and then president, but he was an actor before that. Schwarzenegger was the governor of California, but he was an actor before that. Uh, 
can't think of the guy in New York, but he just passed away recently. He was a senator forever, but he was an actor. And you got a lot of other people that are moving that way. Why? Because we have become so enamored with celebrity that we totally. Uh, what's going on? Uh, hold on a second. Let me fix this real quick. Uh, there we go. There we go. I'm not even finna go there, man. I'm just, just ass dumbass people. My, my, my thing is this: when you make a statement again. I don't come ever with the idea that I'm absolutely right. I know everything. I've been telling you guys this for over 10 years. I don't know everything. Before we lost our main channel and things were really blowing up, I used to tell you guys all the time, and I'm still telling you now as we try to rebuild this thing. Uh, I don't come to you because I think I know it all, but I've put 30 years of research into what I know. I've committed 30 years of understanding the dilemmas that blacks face. Everything from uh, multi-generational transmission of trauma, uh, socioeconomic uh, despair and restrictions to access to wealth building uh, resources, uh, the miseducation of our youth, mass incarceration, serial force displacement. I've studied it all. I mean, I've put in, I've written many scholarly papers. I've written 21 books that in one way or another all deal with issues that black people face even though it may be written to a broader group, it comes from initially studying the behavior, the circumstances and situations of blacks. 21 books, hundreds and hundreds of scholarly papers, thousands of articles and spoken and taught. I mean, I've engaged in, in, in uh, giving my life to this thing. And yet I still don't think I know it all. And I'm not above being called or called out or challenged. I'm not here because of my ego. I told you guys that a long time ago. I'm not here for the likes and the shares, even though the likes and the shares definitely help the channel. It doesn't do anything for my ego. I've, I've gotten to the point where I stroke my own ego. I know who I am. That's all that matters to me. I don't need anybody to validate it. I don't need anybody to tell me who I am. I know who I am. I'm good with me. And that's all that matters. I'm not here for that. I'm here to give you what I have. And if you come at me respectfully and challenge what I have, I'm going to listen to what you have to say no matter how much it differs from me because I have that respect. But here is what I remember that, Amir. I remember that. You guys got to read Amir a bit. Matter of fact, I'll read it. She says, just last year, Biden told a group of black mayors that one of the biggest problems facing the black community is black parents can't read or write themselves, but he wants our votes. And then she says, please. And I agree with you 100%. Uh, uh, Jerron Wesley, absolutely. We need to learn how to practice group economics, but there's so much that goes into that from a psychological and a sociological perspective. That comes from uh, the rebuilding of families. Why? Because things like that are things you taught are taught as family values. You can't wait till someone's 18, 19 years old and do a, 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 a lecture tour on group economics. I love my uh, my elder, uh, Dr. Claude Anderson, I've had a chance to work with him and his wife. I love him to death. But one of the things that he he experienced that was an uphill battle, he was trying to teach conditioned people to think outside of the barriers and parameters of their conditioning. And that's a trust me, as a uh, person whose background is in psychology. That's a rough road to tarry. You, 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 you're constantly working against something that's so strong that it needs consecutive, consistent interruptions, and they simply just aren't there. One lecture is not going to do it. It's not going to disrupt it. First of all, the cognitive dissonance alone will push back and create an argument con uh, contrary and counter to the reality, regardless of how irrational the argument is. You have to understand that. What we have to do, if we're talking about group economics, that has to be taught as a part of the family values. That's why it's important to have a truly structured family. Why? You need the masculine energy uh, 
of the of the male and you need the feminine energy of the female and you need to sync that energy creating a synergistic force that provides an environment in which kids can be catapulted forward but it's done through the teaching and the inculcation of certain principles ideas protocols and agendas that are part of the value system from birth and when you do that, you the reason that you get people who defend their faith to the death, no matter how much you show them that there are some things they should be looking at and questioning, is because it was inculcated into their minds as youth. The reason it's hard to get people out of a consumeristic mindset is because consumerism is what they've always known. The way that they show their value is by what they buy. We have to be aware of how much brainwashing has taken place. We must be aware of how the system has systematically inculcated into the psyche of young black children early on that they're inferior. And that if you might be looked at or viewed just a little bit better, if you have a Fendi purse, a Louis Vuitton purse, some Fendi boots or Prada, you may be viewed better if your hair is worn a certain way. You may be viewed better if your skin was a little lighter. You are consistently fed a Eurocentric idea of what is to the point that you start to believe that what you possess as your own person isn't worthy. And you start to aspire to be something you're not. And then the more you aspire, you lose yourself in a new aspiration that cannot feed your natural yearning to be you. You get lost. You become inferior in your own mind. And then you're easily led by the one you feel inferior to. We have a specific responsibility as Black people to properly and holistically educate our youth. And when I say educate, I mean it in the sense of going beyond academic attainment. I mean saying, when I talk about educating youth, when I wrote The Miseducation of Black Youth, my 16th, uh, Black Youth in America, my 16th book, I clearly define education as being more than academic attainment, that it being the empowerment and the preparation of Black youth to enter into a world in which they are inherently being encroached upon an environment that is inherently hostile to them and not only compete, but win. That's holistic education. That's teaching a child who they are. That's teaching a child what's possible. That's teaching them their history beyond slavery. That's them. That's teaching them that their creativity is their greatest resource, that they're never trapped into being something or somewhere they don't want to be or something they don't want to be, that they have the power to become and, and, and become whatever it is they need to be to be the best version of themselves. That is how you empower and educate youth. We're not educating them by sending them to school uh, to get skills that only allow them to get jobs that will never allow them to truly be what they're capable of being. We train them to be confident in themselves, to know themselves, to not feel inferior to anyone. And that's the importance of it, but we're failing in that area. Something we've got to work on. But finally, I'm going to get back to what, what I'm going to close on. What you have to first see in this statement is the sense of entitlement that Joe Biden has to the black vote. It is something deeply entrenched into his mind and his mindset and his psyche, because that's what Democrats have been able to do for literally decades is sit up and say, just by being a Democrat and talking nice, I can get the black vote. I don't have to promise blacks anything. We haven't had to give them anything in a very long time. We're just going to tell them we're looking out for you and we're not racist like them. When the truth of the matter is your, is your policies are racist. It was a democratic policy that started mass incarceration. In the time that Joe Biden, I live in Houston, Texas. I've been blessed and uh, 
fortunate to live all all around the U.S. and in 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 a, in a few other places. But I'm from Houston, Texas. I'm currently residing in Houston, Texas. I'm very familiar with this state. Period. And here's what I can tell you: at the time that Joe Biden wrote that crime bill that ignited mass incarceration, there were 42 prison installations in Texas, 42 penitentiaries, buildings that housed inmates in Texas. There are now over 130. That's the devastation that crime bill created. That's the devastation. Penology became the final point and uh, of what is now a for-profit, the private prison industrial complex, a for-profit move that is lining the pockets of the wealthy and the rich at the cost of the poor and disenfranchised. We have a very, very, very difficult time ahead of us. But what we have to do is get our heads in, 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 in together and focus on what it is we want as a people. We've got to come up with an agenda. We've got to come up with an idea, a strategy, a focal point of who we are. We've got to stop being misled, misguided by the media. We've got to stop buying into the sweet talk. We've got to start making people accountable to who we are and what we are. And, and, and to what we need and what we demand. And until they do so, we've got to find a way to stand for ourselves and speak for ourselves. The, the Black Nationalist Party and the Black Panther Party showed us that we don't have just two choices, that we can literally strengthen our communities regardless of who's in the White House, that if we come together and we function on a local level, on, uh, in a way that is conducive to the growth and empowerment of the community within a specific area, that area will prosper. Then we take that strength and we start to leverage it outward. But what we cannot do is give uh, Jim Crow Joe a pass on this one. You know, there are a lot of other questions that come with him uh, saying that he deserves to be president outside of what the obvious is. You know, I question his mental stability, his mental health, his uh, cognitive capacity, amongst other things. But at the core of it, his record simply cannot foster my support under any condition. And I refuse to believe that the idea that my vote is valuable means I have to spend it. That is ludicrous in the sense of anybody who understands the, 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 the uh, concept of value. If I have money, if I have money and there are two things for which I can spend it and neither one uh, aligns with the value that I believe my money is worth, then to spend it on either would be foolish. It would automatically reduce the value of the money I held. It will also start to begin to send a message to the people who is selling me stuff that they don't have to bring quality stuff. They just have to present me with limited choices. See, I have to learn that if I want the best of something, sometimes I've got to hold on to what's in my pocket until it comes around. Or I've got to create something that... I believe is worthy of what I want to spend. So instead of giving my money to someone else for something that is not of the quality that I demand, I may have to take my money and invest it in myself creating that thing I need. And that's always possible. I am never left with an option of what someone else has to give me as my only alternative. I, that is never the case in any situation on this planet. You always have an option of creating something that does not already exist. And that's something we have lost. That is something we have lost. We have lost the ability to understand that we don't have to take what they shove down our throats. And see, they've done it and they've done it so well that we look and say, it's either Trump or Biden, which is the less of two evils. And now you start to look at that. My thing is, if I can look at you and see that you've been detrimental to me, that's all I need to know. I'm not voting for you. I don't care what kind of options you tell me I have. My vote is so valuable that I'm only going to spend it on something that brings me value. 
How can you say your vote is valuable, but you're willing to give it to someone that you readily admit hasn't given you a damn thing? And in this case, Joe Biden has actually done you done you dirty. But because he's not Trump, the, he's the lesser of two evils. So we're going to go with him. I'm not going I'm not supporting anybody that's mishandling me. I'm not I'm simply not going to do it. And I'm going to leave you with this. Somebody I was having a talk with somebody. And at some point, as a total race of people, as as as, as humanity, we're going to have to come to the we're going to actually have to come to grips with the idea that we're going to actually have to come to grips with the idea that we have fallen so much in the way of morality, ethics, humanity in the way we move about and deal with one another. And I mean all of us at some level. We are going to have to come to grips that just maybe Trump is a reflection of who we really are. And I don't mean every last one of us. Some of us are out there fighting our ass off. Some of us are doing great things. But at some level, you got to look at what we've become collectively as a country with greed, and, and, and a thirst for money and power at a level that we have millions of people homeless when there's enough money for everybody to have a place to live, a roof over their head, utilities paid. Maybe Trump is simply a reflection of what we've become. Now, I, I, I definitely look at the Caucasian impact, Greg, and I know that they are, it's who they are as a general, as a general reflection of who they are. That's who they are. I have no problem admitting that, but there are a lot of people who aren't white who have bought into it. Those are the ones they use to keep us in line. Those are the ones they use to keep us in line. We have to be very, very careful of missing the idea that we aren't where we need to be as a people. There's an old African uh, proverb that says, if there's no enemy on the inside, the enemy on the outside can do us no harm. So obviously, obviously there's an enemy within that makes us vulnerable to the enemy without, and we haven't dealt with that. And we also have to understand in, 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 in defense of what Greg is saying, uh, in, in defense of what Greg is saying, we all have, also have to understand this. Nothing here was built for us, even though it was built by us. You have to keep that in mind. Nothing here was built for us, even though it was built by us. You have to understand. So we're not going to fit in naturally. We're going to have to be creative in establishing ourselves in positioning ourselves and being in a position to where we can make our presence felt. We have the capacity, but we're too busy trying to work it and fit in and be accepted. Dr. King even told us, I think we're going to get integration, but I, 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 I'm, I'm concerned that I've integrated my people into a burning house. This thing was crumbling down long before we got. It's amazing to me right now as we watch this country struggle to sustain itself and all of the lying and the printing of money with no value on a debt-based economy and all of the things done by the Federal Reserve and the World Bank and all the stuff that has us believing we are a lot more wealthy than we really are. All of this stuff happening, right? And now it's starting to really disrupt and become uncomfortable. And the thing is, we are panicking because the thing that we've complained about the most is falling apart. Think about it. We are literally losing it because what we are used to seeing is disintegrating. But what we're used to seeing has always been uh, anti-Black. It has actually moved against us. It's actually worked against us. But we have been so conditioned to see it a certain way that the idea of that no longer existing frightens us. That's the beginning 
of a revolution. That's the beginning of a new idea. That's the beginning of a new hope. That's the beginning of something spectacular in which we can actually own the rights to change and to becoming and to creating and to establishing. This is the only way we're going to, we're not going to take their system and run it. That's never going to happen. It's not built for that. It's built to automatically ensure that never happens. So how do we achieve power? We achieve power through ourselves. We achieve power through creating new mediums, new infrastructures, new financial entities, new financial uh, modicums. It's up to us to walk out and be everything that we can be. Look, I am going to get off of here. I thank you guys for stopping by. You're awesome. Uh, again, don't forget to support the work that we do at the Odyssey Project. I am truly grateful for those of you that have stood with me uh, for at least the last 15 years. Or, and some of you guys have known me longer and watched me uh, come up in, 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 in the way of research before anything. Before I did anything, I was researching. I was learning. And I want to thank you for that. Um, like I said, you know, I've had a lot of time to reflect, you know, with the heart attacks back in March. Uh, those of you who don't know, I had multiple heart attacks uh, in early March, uh, four minor heart attacks, two major heart attacks within a week. Um, the last heart attack I had, I was literally being rolled out of the hospital because I didn't have heart attacks. I don't went in. And I didn't raised hell because I think I need to be back out because there are things I need to do. So I told them if they don't let me out, I'm leaving anyway. They get me to a sign uh, to sign uh, a waiver that basically says that I am acting in opposition of the advice of the physician, um, the physician's advice against the physician's advice. And I think is what it's called APA or something like that. Anyway. I'm being rolled out to the car. They're gonna, they, they got me to sign the waiver and I'm on my way out to the car, have another heart attack. So they got to rush me back in. They bring in a rapid response team. I'm laying there, and but I'm awake. I'm not having a cardiac arrest. I'm having a heart attack. So I'm awake and I'm looking in the eyes of my wife and I'm seeing the fear. Now, this is a wife who five years ago lost her mom who died in front of her from a heart attack in a hospital. And here it was, me being hard-headed, me not taking care of myself, me being so committed to something that I was killing myself. But what it did is it made me slow down. It really made me be aware of what was going on in my life and what was important to me. Um, I've been taking care of myself. I've been getting the weight off, been getting back to what I had normally been up until I was about 46, 47 years old. So about four or five years ago, I started to really gain weight. And get out of shape, uh, you know, to the average person, it may not look like it's that bad. But to me, compared to where I came from, it was horrible and it was showing and I hadn't been taking care of myself. And so here I was. But since then, as I take this journey to recover, I've become keenly cognizant of who I have in my corner, those who stand with me, those who are aware of what I've done and how I fought my people, how many phone calls I filled in a day, how many emails I filled in a day while trying to run businesses. And so the thing is this, I appreciate the love, but this is what I'm going to leave you with. With everything I've done, I'm grateful that I've been able to do it. And I'm hoping one of my close friends who also is a, uh, uh, a scholar. He's a, a, a has a, a PhD in education, um, and he tells me all the time. We talk uh, pretty consistently. He tells me all the time that Doc. Unfortunately, most people will not know the contribution you have made to our struggle until you're gone. Until all of your work begins to surface. And it, it begins to get more playing. People begin to see. And my response to him has been, I'm okay with that. I'm not here for the accolades. I'm not here for the pat on the back. I'm not here for people to say how cool I am, how awesome I am, how smart I am. 
like I told you guys earlier in this video, I know how to stroke my own ego. I know who I am. I'm good with who I am. And, 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 and that's great. So that's not why I'm here. I'm okay with my legacy living after me. And that's what I, I, I'm okay with that. If my great grandchildren get to have a better life because of something I'm doing today, I'm okay with that. I've said many times that we need men who are willing to plant seeds that may not come to fruition in their lifetime. Literally, we need men who are plant seed that seeds that they may not live to see come to fruition. That's the long game. That's the long game. The long game is saying, I'm going to plant seeds in these young kids that will be able to do more than I was able to do. I'm going to plant seeds in these young kids that will allow them to touch lives of people I'll never see. I'm going to leave them with something powerful to live for, to work for, to become. And the thing is, I'm going to tell you something. Those who aspire to be, those who aspire to be leaders. If you live this life and you claim to be a leader, but you never leave anyone behind that becomes greater than you, you fail. If you don't train and give your power and your reins to those who are younger and more virile and more and, and, and more energetic with your wisdom behind them to push them to greater heights than you ever ascended to, you failed as a leader. It's not about having people come to you and praise you. It's about empowering people to take the mantle and take it to places you were not able to reach. That's how I live my life. I live my life every day, 86,400 seconds, and they're all accounted for. From the time I sleep to the time I eat to the time I spend with my adult kids to the time I spend with my minor children to the unbelievable, awesome time I spend with my wife to the work I do in the community, I don't treat any of my time casually. Even my fun time is specifically set as a rejuvenation period, a period of lightness to take off the heavy weight so that I can recuperate. In other words, I'm taking this thing all the way to the gate. If I'm breathing, I'm still in the fight. But I'm going to challenge you to do the same thing. I'm one person. But if I can convince just 10 of you to take the mantle and run with it, we can change the world. We can literally change the world. Uh, when I was... One of my doctorates is in theology. I have two, one in psychology, one in theology. One of my doctorates uh, is in theology. And one of the per persons that I studied most on my own as I took my journey through theology is John Wesley. John Wesley is the father of the Methodist church. He founded and initiated the Methodist movement in the early 1800s. And he is known as the great revivalist because he reignited a passion in Christianity that was dying at the time. And he was a methodical person. That's where the term Methodist comes from. But there was something that John Wesley said that just stuck with me and I never was able to shake it. He said, give me 100 men who fear nothing but God and hate nothing but sin and I'll change the world. Just 100. And under that, I found it 100 men of purpose. Because I truly believe if you can just take 100 men who fear nothing, but have a passion for something powerful, those 100 men can change the world. That's all I want to do is I want to inspire change. I want to inspire somebody to do something greater than I've done for the cause that I'm so passionate about. I don't need the accolades. I don't need my name to be on it, to feel I, I, I just want to be a person. When people look back at my life, they can say, I can see why he was here. When people look at what I've done in my life, I just want them to say he had a place here and he did something with what he was given. And that's my challenge to you. It's not going to be Biden. It's not going to be Trump. It's going to be us standing up for us and being everything that we can possibly be. We need more scholars to do more research. There's a lot out there to be done. We've had some unbelievable, powerful juggernauts 
in this area. One who inspired me to take up the mantle in 1985, Dr. Francis Crest Wilson. Shortly after that, Neely Fuller Jr., because he was so influential in her life, I kept hearing her mention him. I went and found him. After that, Dr. Naya Mokbar, Dr. Uh, Amos Wilson, Dr. Khaled Muhammad, Dr. Claude Anderson, uh, Dr. Yosef Benyakin. And as you can tell, I, we got teenagers in the house. And so it's well past the time where they, they couldn't lose. So um, it is what it is. You hear whatever thing. We got a grandson in here. Uh, he he regulating. Uh, but, you know, it is so important uh, to inspire others to take up the mantle. Um, and let, let me not forget my man, Dr. John Heinrich Clark, uh, just another unbelievable, powerfully gifted historian and academia, academician. Look, we have so much in us that we have not pulled out and placed on the table. We've got to get out of our emotions. We've got to start looking within ourselves and seeing what we're capable of. We've got to start to gain an understanding of political science, military science, financial science. And we must understand how the game is being played because it's our ignorance of how things are done that consistently puts us behind the eight ball. Um, on that note, I'm going to get off here. You guys have been so wonderful. Um, yeah, you can tell my grandson definitely holding, holding court, man. He, he, he up there regulating. Um, man, uh, just one of, I think we got, what, eight grandkids, nine? Uh, I stopped counting, but we got a lot of them. But he's the youngest, and he runs everything. Uh, but on that note, look, I'm going to get out of here. Uh, you guys really, really, truly share it. Take another look at it. Break it down. Send me feedback. There's so much work to be done. And like I said, don't forget to support the work we're doing. Uh, I've put the information in thread several times. Uh, but anybody watching, anybody watching this video moving forward, you'll be able to actually see it. It's the first paragraph in the description box. It'll tell you how you can give. You can give through Cash App, uh, which more and more people are doing. You know, when I first heard about Cash I'm like, man, nobody will give through Cash App. I didn't like it. I'm still, you know, kind of old school in a lot of different ways. Uh, but the link will take you back and you're able to give uh, through through the page and link on, on the site. But whatever it is you, you decide to do. Uh, show some love, show some support. We've got so much work to do. Email me at I'm putting it in here now. Alright, email me at this address with any type of ideas, uh, concepts, uh, you know, uh, if you, especially if it's dealing with uh, mental health, we are definitely pushing to create more mental health resources for our young black males specifically, but also for our young black women uh, that are dealing with childhood sexual abuse, incest, rape, molestation. For those who don't know, uh, my wife is a survivor of both molestation and rape as a as a minor. Uh, beginning at age five. It's all chronicled in her book. It's nothing that she's kept hidden. It's one of the things that drives her passion uh, and one of the reasons why I love her so much because of what she gives. Uh, but we are putting all these programs together. We are working hard for it. Again, I thank you for spending all this time on here with me. Uh, but I just had to address that. Like I said, I'm not a fan of Charlemagne. I'm not a fan of the Breakfast Club, period. Um, it is what it is um, as far as the ownership controls the narrative. Um, you know, you get a little bit of what you need, but you take what you get. But the thing is what came out of that discussion between him and Biden uh, spoke volumes and it gave us an insight into how we're viewed and you can't make it okay for people to disrespect you because you think you need them. 
no matter where you're at in the world and what you're doing. That can never be the case. You have to be willing to stand up and say, that is not how you will treat me. And you show them in the way that you have. And sometimes all you can do because you don't have much is say, I'm going to remove myself from the equation. You will not disrespect or mistreat me. On that note, I'm out. You guys, once again, thanks. You have a great day. Thank you.